Hello everyone. After an eventful trip to France in which our camper van died, it's great to be back for this EdTech podcast special to get you warmed up for our new season kicking off on the 6th of August. This week, you'll hear from one of EdTech's greatest mind addicts, Marin Deepwell, the CEO of the Association for Learning Technology, or more commonly known as ALT. We talk Sherlock Holmes, equality, government policy and open education. But before all of that, events. If you're London-based, join us at some summer EdTech drinks on the 22nd of August. Venue is TBC, so if you have one, why not let us know? The Alt Conference is on the 5th to the 7th of September in Liverpool this year. And finally, the Innovate EdTech Conference takes place in London on the 11th of November, looking at the rise of learner experience. All links to register are in the show notes. What's next? On the 6th of August, we kick off an entirely new season of content for the second half of 2017. ASU GSV Summit are kindly supporting and topics include games-based learning, 21st century skills, China, design thinking and educational reform. Don't miss out. If you're not subscribed to the podcast already, make sure you get set up and tell your friends. Otherwise, great to be back. Thanks for listening. Send us your comments as always via at Podcast EdTech on Twitter and enjoy the rest of the summer. Yay! Hi, Marin. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Goody, good. Hi, I can see you there. I took July off from doing the podcast, so I was just spending the second half getting myself ready for the second half of the year and the first half I was on holiday. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was nice. It was nice, but um, we went to France and um, we went in a camper van, but our camper van broke down and pretty much died in France. And then we came back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we came back in like a series of three hire cars. Um, so there's a lot of logistics involved, which was a bit of a shame, but that's just, you know, it's, it happens sometimes. So never mind. And whereabouts are you going on holiday? Um, you know, I'm doing the opposite because I travel a lot for work. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to not be traveling for a while. Um, and I'm doing all sorts of things with family and seeing some friends. But yeah, my holidays are usually um, about doing the opposite of traveling. <laughs> yeah, no, having just experienced what I have, I can definitely see the the appeal of that. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've got... Um, I've got a cat whom I don't see enough of. Yeah, generally have um, have a lot to be getting on with, but it's nice to get a break from my inbox. So yeah. I like having proper breaks and I don't really work kind of at weekends or out of hours. And no. I'm one of those people who really doesn't find it difficult to leave their inbox behind when they have time off. So Then you um, come I'm, back and you're much more refreshed and have like a, a clear head about how you're going to go about things as well. Yeah, no, it's good. But um, yeah, I'm actually quite excited about this today because I've never done like a podcast. I've done lots of different types of interviews, but this is kind of like a different medium. And um, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts. But um, what are your favorite podcasts to listen to? Um, oh, so I listen to a lot of comedy. So I listen to a lot of like um, Richard Herring's podcast, for oh, example, yeah. um, and Bridget. Um, Christy and sort of quite a lot of sort yeah. of comedians um, but I also listen to so I think the main ed tech sort of podcast that I listen to is probably the Contra Fabulists with Ken Lane and Audrey Waters okay yeah because um, they had um they had the the one I can't remember what the title was called it was another one with Audrey Waters oh, unless the, they've changed uh, their title 
Yeah, they have. It used to be called the um, Tech Gypsies. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so it's yeah. the same one but a different title. Yeah, it's the same podcast, I think. Um, but yeah, they've changed it to called um, the Contrafabulists, and I listen to them. Um, but it's different because it's the same people each week. Um, it's just mostly the two of them, you know, talking to each other. Yeah. So I think it's a bit different to you know podcasts where it's like a different person or different guests. So yeah, oh, I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think Audrey Waters is very interesting, and I like a lot of her Medium posts and how she kind of. Uh, uh, sort of dissect some of the you know what's happening haven't yet met her but it's on my to-do list uh, yeah no um I, I agree I'm a fan so <laughs> I um I like um her work a lot and I think it's important to have some critical voices so you know it's it's good to reflect sometimes at what we what we're doing <laughs> Cool. So, um, yes, it's great to be back with the EdTech podcast after a little break. And so I hope everyone's had a fantastic July. I'm delighted today to be speaking with Marin Deepwell, who's the chief executive of the Association for Learning Technology. So welcome, Marin. Thank you very much, Sophie. Nice to be here. If people are listening in and they're not so familiar with ALT, um, the Association for Learning Technology, can you give us a kind of overview of, you know, how it's developed and also how it differs to existing organisations, so things like JISC or Universities UK? Um, sure, yeah. Um, so the association was established in 1993, so next year we'll be celebrating our 25th birthday and um, we are the leading professional body for learning technology professionals in the UK. So what we do, I think we can easily break down into kind of three chunks. Yeah. So one of the main things we do is around increasing the impact of learning technology for public benefit. So, for example, we publish um, research in learning technology, which is an open access journal. So our members can disseminate kind of, you know, evidence of what works and the newest kind of innovations in their learning, teaching or assessment. So it's one area that we um, are very active in. Then a second thing that we do is to provide recognition of and representation for our members at a national level. So we work across all parts of the UK and we have member groups um, across the whole of the country and also have members internationally. But our policy work is very focused um, on some of the key issues in the UK and we also run Learning Technologies of the Year awards, we provide strategic information to our members and we have a really strong network. Because we're one of the longest established professional bodies um, in this area, um, it's really a growing community that continues to kind of evolve, but there is a lot of um, history there as well. And um, so how's it, how's it kind of changed since when did you become the chief exec? So I've been old CEO for five years now, um, so since 2012, but I've actually worked um, for ALT for nearly 10, 10 years, yeah. um, so it's been a while. And um, yeah, I think the association has changed quite a lot. So when we were established in 1993, um, we were a much smaller community. So we had, you know, obviously to begin with um, only a few hundred members. Now we have two and a half thousand but also, I think the idea of what it means to, to work in learning technology has really changed. Mm. So I think nowadays we're seeing so many more 
um, job roles that have technology as a key component. While I think, you know, 25 years ago, there were far fewer. So it's um, specifically a technology uh, responsibility and more about how technology cuts through all of the job roles. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, that's how professionalization, um, I think, is changing. But I think also, while, you know, using technology in learning, teaching and assessment is part of more people's roles than before, and particularly senior um, roles in different university, colleges and school contexts, I think one thing that really hasn't changed is our need for experts who can help us make decisions about technology. So, you know, that that starts with purchasing and, and, and choosing the right tools to um, procurement and implementation and then advising academic staff on how to best use it in the classroom. And I think that role is becoming more and more crucial because what we want to achieve with learning technology is becoming more and more ambitious mm. and um, the impact we expected to make for learners in all contexts is becoming greater. So I think in some ways I've joined out in a really interesting time because the ask that we have of technology and its potential are becoming greater. And I think there's more need now um, or very continued need for a critical kind of um, informed voice um, that, that helps you take the right decisions. So yeah, it's interesting times for sure. It's interesting times, and I know that um, I was lucky enough to come along to one of your your evenings after an event in London, and the people there. It was very interesting because, like you say, you know they they exist, or it felt like on that kind of fringe between a real fascination and engagement with technology and how it could be used, but also a real understanding and caution around you know how it could also be abused. So you know asking the right questions and remaining critical and yeah it was a really interesting group of people there um although I didn't manage to do any bowling which was a bit of a shame but <laughs> that's the next time <laughs> well I got comprehensively beaten by anyone that I was bowling with so um definitely not one of my strengths but I think the um the, the third part of, you know, what we do is all around professionalization, leading professionalization of research and practice in learning technology. And I think the critical perspective you just mentioned um, is, is key for many of our members because, the, you know, it's certainly an advantage to um, to be enthusiastic about all the shiny new mm-hmm. toys. The You know, I'm, I'm a real geek at heart and I love new technologies, love trying them out. And I think many people who work in learning technology feel that way. But I think we also need to keep in mind, you know, some of the consequences that are maybe not so apparent when you have a shiny new tool in your hand. You know, for example, you know, what sort of information does it collect about you or your learners? How is that administrated? You know, what what are the algorithms or what are the um, administrative processes that shape how you can use the technology? How how can we build a responsible relationship between technology and its users and and what are our responsibilities of mediating that i think you know there's so much vested interest in the edtech industry in general um to build a narrative around um how technology is a solution to to problems and um you know how it, how it's kind of sometimes portrayed as the answer to to all of our prayers making education more efficient or more you know, more profitable or more accessible, whatever it is that you're after. Um, but I, I think what what we're finding more and more is that we need to also reflect on 
what impact it has in terms of our data, our ability to understand how it functions as it becomes more complicated, um, and also how we can make it accessible to a really wide part of the workforce, um, which is a huge challenge. Yeah, I like the first strand of what you do in terms of public benefit, because, you know, you forget when you're constantly going to events or talking to like-minded people that, you know, if I'm at a dinner party and I, I say I work in ed tech, then, you know, probably 90% of the table won't know what that term means or, you know, <laughs> there are so many facets to it and then all the complications on both sides. So, yeah, it's interesting once you get outside of the kind of bubble you exist within. I think so. And I mean, um, I personally, I'm really passionate about um working in the open and for public benefit. But I think it's also what I maybe haven't mentioned, and I should, is that we're an independent charity. So we're funded solely through our membership subscriptions and events. And being an independent body is quite different from maybe being a government-funded agency or being industry-funded, because it means that we can um, act on our members' wishes and they are very strongly in support of, of openness and working to exchange knowledge and share research for public benefit. So that's kind of whom we serve directly. And I think it gives out a unique voice um, in the ad tech sector in the UK. Definitely. I mean, one of my questions was going to be when you were talking about the growth of the organisation, it comes at a time when others sort of tracking ed tech are, you know, really suffering, trying to work out how to go about funding and, you know, the injection of money into their services going as well. So... It's, me- it's membership. Yeah, you know, I think it's a hard time for everyone. And, and obviously, we're feeling that as well. Um, I don't think we are isolated from the hard times that the sectors are experiencing. But we are very small and lean um, core organizations. So we, we employ um, six staff. Most of us work part time and um, we're a distributed team all across the UK. So we actually a very lean operation um, in terms of, you know, what we do. But our real strength lies in our membership. And most of what we do, like our events or our publications, are all um, led by volunteer effort. And I think the participation of our members at all levels, both in terms of what we do and what we um, stand for and how we're governed and what we say to government um, is really key to me. Uh, Yeah, I think that's something really powerful. And on that front, I mean, if you had a message to government that you think your members would like you to ask or something that they could do that would improve the working circumstances of your members, do you know what that would be as well? <laughs> oh, I think that, that's quite a long list. Um, but it's, I mean, it's interesting that you mention it because the um, the Department for Education has just set up a, a new consultation process um, for edtech policy. Um, last the last couple of weeks, they've held um, stakeholder engagement groups, and we I've just had a conversation today um, with one of their officials. And I think the the questions policymakers are facing all the time, you know, are about how to make effective policy, how to make effective recommendations that can be implemented on a national level when the landscape you operate in keeps changing. The technology keeps changing, the tools we use keep changing, and it's very difficult um, for um, government as a a kind of body to to deal with that. So I think um, many of our members who've worked in the sector for a long time see 
um, every time there is one of these initiatives that, that things are reinvented. So each yeah. time um, we establish, oh, is there really evidence that it works? Um, how are we going to avoid making an equation between getting rid of people and doing more with technology, right? That's a real concern. Mm. So that technology will somehow make um, people obsolete. And, um, you know, how how can technology improve learning, teaching and assessment while there is such pressure on funding, um, both in, in all across the sectors? So I think... Um, I think it's a little bit like Groundhog Day um, at the policy level. We, we seem to be um, a, a leader in research and innovation and many other good ed tech areas. But, but I don't think when it comes to policy, um, we, we are leading. So there's a couple of things I think our members um, are very passionate about. Uh, one of them would be, it would be great. And I do tell policymakers this again and again. Um, to have more official endorsement and support for use of learning technology. That always involves risks, but it also can great have great results and having more um, support from government um, would be useful for them to be um, recognizing in active terms that institutions um, make an effort to use technology and, and reward that or recognize that. Yeah. But also um, there are some practical things, for example, um, now, we've long been promote, um, campaigning for government to, for example, mandate that all publicly funded educational resources and research are openly accessible and openly licensed. Yeah. And we've gone part of that way with open access publishing of research. But when it comes to resources in learning technology, we're not there yet. Um, there's no um, sort of policy mandating that publicly funded resources um, are openly accessible. Um, yeah, and I think um, with exercises like the teaching excellence framework um, or the research excellence framework, I think there are some very traditional metrics on how we measure the impact of research and teaching practice. Um, so, for example, is a blog post, if it's, you know, on a very well visited blog, is that as um, yep. valid evidence as a research <laughs> article you know i think we're lagging behind in that recognition what's your opinion on tf for higher ed well we've as a as an organization we've contributed a lot to the consultation process um for the for the tef and um i think we've seen some many of the um medal winners um are our members so i'm pleased to to say that yeah i'm sure you could do some sort of research where you can find a correlation between being a member of alt and winning a gold medal but um i think ultimately the um i, I think it is to be determined how how valuable as an exercise it will be in the long run um and i do think because we know a lot about the limits of technology and the limit of what data can tell us, I think maybe our community is, is possibly more critical as a whole, um, to generalize a little bit here, on, on the limitations of what this type of exercise can tell us and the limitations of what the data and the statistics that are the basis of the exercise can tell us and what it can't capture mm. and uh, the things that you know we're, we feel are important that it can't capture. It's kind of like our obsession with listicles. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, there are limits to what technology, I think, can capture. And and we're very aware of those. But it's so inconvenient for things like like the TAF or the REF, sort of big national exercises. 
Well, you mentioned before that you, you know, you travel a lot with work and, um, you know, I just wondered if when you're traveling around, if there are particular countries or organizations where you think, yeah, what they're doing is spot on. And also whether you had any favorite learning technologies of your own as well that you tend to, to kind of get excited about. Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, in, in June earlier this year, um, I went to the annual conference of the Irish Learning Technology Association together with um, one of my colleagues, Martin Hoxie, and we both presented at the event. Um, I think I often get the chance to travel to other professional body organizations like this one. And I think the ILTA conference is one of my favorites. Um, they have a really lively, strong learning technology community in Ireland. And it was a fantastic two days where we could really see um, how technology is starting to scale up um, so that, you know, from one case study or one individual enthusiast, it sort of branches out across the whole of the organization. And there was a lot of good work um, being done then, both from the um, Dublin Institute of Technology, for example, um, was, was really strong. So I think that was one of the highlights um, of, of my sort of conference attendance this year. Um, and there's always... Um, I think particularly around open education, um, some really interesting events that um, I haven't been to yet. So, for example, I think um, around this time of year, there's always the digital pedagogy. Um, I think it's a it's called a lab, which is um, with Bonnie Stewart and others, um, which is taking place in Vancouver. Unfortunately, I don't get to travel to to places like Vancouver that often. Um, but I think my one of my favorite ways of engaging with events or, or sort of things that are going on across learning technology community is online. Mm. So I'm a, a serial um, online attendee and a great enthusiast for taking part in sort of open online conversations, um, either on Twitter or on other social media. I do a lot of online courses as well um, because I like to keep my hand in and do some, you know, learning and, and teaching myself. So as my practice as a learning technologist. Do you have like a favorite platform for that? Oh, yeah, no, that's another good question. So as I say, I, I try out quite a lot of them. Um, so I've done some courses on bigger platforms like FutureLearn or edX yeah. or Coursera. Um, last year, I did an interesting course on a platform called Scholar One, which was by the um, Geneva um, Learning Foundation, which was really interesting, which was a, a course about how to make a course on this platform. <laughs> so um, so that was really interesting. I think my personal favorite was... Um, an initiative or a course, well, it was the loose, loosely defined course um, on rhizomatic learning, um, which was originated, I think, with Dave Cormier. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I, I invited him to speak in a previous life. Yeah, well, I... I um, I, I really like his work and I'm really interested in rhizomatic learning, but yeah. um, it was a, a sort of Twitter based course um, that you could blog about. Um, and I did that um, for, for two years in a row. And I really enjoyed that because I think um, I love the flexibility of it. And I love that you can contribute and kind of make it your own. And where I am at in terms of professional development, I like um, less structure because my day-to-day -day life in my work has a lot of structure, a lot of spreadsheets and um, a lot of deadlines and deliverables. So when I do a course, I'm kind of looking for something a bit more creative. Um, yeah. So I really like the um, the Rhizo um, courses, um, but I think it's sort of, it's now completely self-directed and um, I haven't been as active in that. Um, but I think Twitter is probably, in terms of my personal learning, um, the platform I use a lot, but I host my own blog and my own content um, 
via Reclaim Hosting. So do a lot of my own um, stuff online and try and keep it on my own domain. I saw that. So that's marindeepwell.com. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm on it right and, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been posting summer holiday things. So anything from, um, you know, sharing my love for sci-fi to um, recently I've been reading a lot of um, great stories um, with a lot of female heroines. Um, yeah. I'm really interested in equality. And because I'm such a sci-fi fan, when I was little, a lot of my heroes were, were you know, all male yeah. characters like Sherlock Holmes or Commander Data or people like that um, that were very real to me or still are. Um, but now I've started to um, discover a whole genre of, of, of books and writers where they have really strong female characters, including, um, I think, one of my new favorite creations by Garth Nix, which is the good wizard which turns out to be a young woman who's really into shoes so um yeah i really enjoyed reading that and it, it made me think about um you know how effortlessly we can change people's perception about yeah. equality and what what professional roles for women are um when we start sort of in the imagination um i gave a talk at the ilta conference i mentioned earlier on equality and learning technology and um, sometimes I think it's it's one of the areas where we could do so much more, but real change is, is very hard to bring about. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, I want to launch this EdTech Women initiative. But yeah, exactly. Having role models in the beginning um, is, a, is a good place to start. Uh, definitely. And I think, you know, there are a lot of inspiring um, practitioners uh, across the community that, you know, I, I think are doing so much to to promote equality in all kind of different ways. Um, but there is so much more to do. And I think sometimes it's sobering, um, particularly when you um, have a role like mine where you meet a lot of senior decision makers and I have the privilege of being invited and, and sitting around tables. And, and very often, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the last sort of five or 10 years, I've been the only woman or the only woman in a decision-making role or the only woman with budget responsibility. And, and sometimes I think um, it's it's frustrating to me um, to, to see how far we have to come. And, and it seems to be still quite a way to go. I would say so, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned the inspiring practitioners. Have you got any people that you'd like to reveal to people listening in that you think would be good for them to go and seek out on Twitter or any Twitter handles? Oh, oh wow. Um, well, I, I think there is a lot of them. Like our community, um, I think that's one of my favorite aspects of my job is, is that I do get to work with a lot of really awesome people. Um, and I think there is many, um, many, many that I could mention. But I think starting, for example, um, so because ALT is member-led, um, we have uh, trustees of ALT who are very active. Yeah. And I think there are some really inspiring, um, well, they're already inspiring, but it's inspiring ways to get started. So if you haven't already, so for example, our current chair is Martin Willer from the Open University. Um, he also blogs at edtechie.net um so i would certainly recommend um checking out his blog if you haven't already or there's lorna campbell who's based in scotland um, and she works for open scotland she's a exemplary i think open ed practitioner really inspiring um or there's james clay who is i think one of the most well-established learning technologists in fe um who chairs our fe committee and um, I think he's one of the people who I discovered first when, when I started out. Um, and there's, you know, me, uh, yeah, too many people um, to, to really mention. Um, and, you, and you have the ALTC, so ALTC hashtag for people that are tweeting around issues that are relevant to your membership and to your community as well. 
Yeah, that's right. So OLTC is our hashtag and um, it started off um, around our conference, which was every September, but then we've kind of adopted it all year round. And if you include the hashtag OLTC in your tweet, we'll we'll try and retweet it. Um, we share vacancies this way. We share news, blog posts, and um, we do... Like, yeah, it generates um, sort of half a million um, Twitter impressions um, each each year. So it's um, it's a very busy hashtag, but okay. it's worth um, sharing. Um, but also, I think we do a lot of what we do is all openly accessible. So if you go and, um, for example, look on our website, you can join in with webinars and read research. And most of what we do, you should be able to um, access freely. Obviously, I think everyone should join and become a member of ALT, <laughs> but then you would expect me to say that. Yeah, no, I've I've just um, had a look, and and I know that the um, blog is really uh, open for people to come and guest post on and become editors as well of their members. So but I think one of the things I like about our community is that many people who are maybe new to learning technology or who are new to blogging, who may have not written a post, um, can always get some support and and feedback. So it's a good place to get started, particularly if you're new to learning technology or you're new to the UK um, sort of learning technology community. And it's easy to get involved, you know, because you can either write a blog post or you can come along to a webinar or you can just start a conversation joining in on Twitter. So I think if your job involves learning and technology, hopefully there'll be something relevant to you. Um, but because we do work across sectors, you know, we, we're a really diverse community. Um, there isn't just one one voice. That's interesting because my perception originally was that it was very much the higher ed community, but uh, it's schools, further education and higher education. Is that correct? Yeah, so we, we basically don't draw any lines at all. Um, everyone is welcome as long as they're interested in learning technology. And um, we also, as you say, we work across all formal education sector, but we also have members who work in work-based learning or in industry or for learning technology development companies um, or for, you know, some of the big tech companies. So I think the important thing that we're interested in is being a learning technology professional and where you work exactly and what kind of education you're involved in, um, everyone is welcome. So, Marin, tell me a little bit about yourself as well. So I was reading up and I, I know that we uh, we caught up last time. That So you were born in Germany and then you came here when you were 16. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I moved here um, basically to study. Um, and then I I'm so my background is I trained in, in fine art first and then in anthropology. And I was really interested in material culture. And I think nowadays I kind of still explore that because I'm really interested in the relationship between people and technology. And that's really what, you know, where my sort of personal research interest lies. Um, But I started working as a learning technologist as a PhD student. Um, I did my PhD at UCL. And um, that's when I started kind of working as a learning technologist. And um, that's also when I started working um, for, for ALT. I started, um, yeah, working part-time while I was still a student. So it's been um, a, a really interesting area to discover because um, I think, like many other learning technology professionals, I don't have a sort of learning technology background. I think many of us kind of arrive at this point and think, oh, this is interesting. And um, yeah. yeah. Well, I love your interplay and your interest in science fiction and technology because I'm sure that must help you ask or at least think about some of those questions and you know do you have a particular science fiction character that you love? 
Um, oh, I have many, um, but I think like many people who are quite techy, um, I think I grew up with, you know, with Star Trek and I, I grew up with this sort of vision of technology as a very benevolent force, um, yeah. force for good. Um, I think the um, sort of omnipresent computer that knows everything and helps you with everything must be one of the sort of key driving forces behind, I think, um, companies like Google, where they kind of try and, and engineer that and make that come true. I am very disappointed that there's no transporters because it would really help my life. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. and um, I think personally, I'm quite looking forward to the um, AI robot Marin because I have enough work to be getting on with. So <laughs> I, um, I'm quite looking forward to that. But I think, yeah, Star Trek probably is what shaped my, um, sort of vision of the future and of technology most um, but my ultimate I think um, hero in terms of fiction is definitely Sherlock Holmes. Have you ever been to I think there's the Sherlock Holmes Society in the um, University of London Senate House they have quite a lot of meetings there I think. Um, no I have to say um, I, I've never um, I've never joined that or, or, or gone along to it um, but I do reread the stories more than is good for me, I think, and more than I'm going to admit to. <laughs> and what do you think about the televised version? Oh, I have to say I love all of them. Oh, that's um, good. I'm yeah. quite looking forward. I, I like all the different interpretations. And, um, yeah, I think um, one of the things I like about Sherlock Holmes is that he's very interested in how to organize information in his head. And I think it's an interesting metaphor um, he uses the brain attic in which everything needs to be tidy and easy to retrieve as a metaphor to explain to Dr. Watson how he thinks and why he knows certain things and okay. is oblivious of others. I need to tidy my brain attic. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I use that metaphor a lot. So, um, no, it's interesting. But, um, yeah, maybe the actual future of AI and machine learning is, is slightly less romantic than, than my childhood visions okay. based on sci-fi. So oh, you're having your staycation and then when you come back, it won't be too long before the alt annual conference. I just thought to end, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, when that's happening and you know who's involved and what people should expect. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so this year's theme is called Beyond Islands of Innovation. And the idea um, that we came up with with the conference co-chairs, Pete Alston and Helen O'Sullivan from the University of Liverpool, is that learning technology has you beyond its sort of islands of um, good practice and innovation to really scaling up and becoming the new normal. So our um, challenge to conference participants was really um, to write proposals about how we're scaling up technology, how we're implementing it, how we're reaching beyond the easy converted enthusiasts and how learners are benefiting from that. Um, it's a huge program over three days. Um, we're expecting about 500 people. It's from the 5th to the 7th of September in Liverpool for the first time. And um, one of the themes this year I think that I'm particularly interested in is around empowerment in learning technology. So that's where we'll be going to be looking at supporting students um, through partnerships, um, looking at learners as influencers and developing skills and supporting staff. Um, but we also have, um, so we have 180 sessions in the program currently. It's one of our bigger programs um, in recent years. And we have some really good keynotes coming up this year. Bonnie Stewart um, is coming to open the conference. 
She's um, based in Prince Edward Island in Canada and is one of the sort of leading thinkers on social media and use of social media in learning technology and working with students. And then our keynote on the middle day on Wednesday is going to be um, Sean Bain from the University of Edinburgh. And I hope that Sean is going to speak a little bit about her work with um, data and learning analytics. And then opening the third day is Peter Goodyear from um, Australia. So I think he's one of the speakers that we get to see very rarely here in Europe. He's based at the University of Sydney and his um, sort of work is going to be on um, learning spaces and instructional um, spaces, which is one of the things that is another theme in the conference. Awesome. So it's coming up very soon. Yeah, it's um, only, oh God, it's five or six weeks away. So okay. far too soon for comfort. Um, but one of the other things I wanted to highlight, um, because I think it's a fun way to get involved. Um, so whether or not you can come to the conference, one of the things we do, um, I mentioned the awards earlier, and our Learning Technologist of the Year awards are um, going to be announced. We're going to be announcing the finalists. And when we announce the finalists in early August, um, we publish them on our webpage and everyone can vote for their favorite. And we have a special award called the Community Choice Award, which is openly voted for by members of the public um, or by, by our community. So whether or not you can come along to the conference, um, checking out the award finalists is always a good idea because they're all wonderful. Um, but also you can vote for your favorites and hope that they win. So hopefully that will be another way to get involved online, whether or not you can come. And if people are listening and they can come, the call for papers, is that all uh, complete now or can they still get involved in terms of speaking? Um, I'm afraid the call for paper is closed. Um, and this year we have such a bumper program that we can't accept late submissions, but registration yeah. is still open until the 25th of August. And most of the conference is very interactive. So even if you don't lead a session yourself, and more than half of our participants do, um, there'll still be lots of opportunities to join the conversation and work together with others in workshops and join debates. Brilliant. So, yeah, um, hopefully the EdTech podcast is going to be up there as well and uh, do some recording. Um, so we'll definitely drop all those links in the show notes and everything. Fantastic. Thank you. But, yeah, otherwise, have a wonderful rest until then and um, enjoy some time. Say hello to your cat. <laughs> Thank and, you very uh, much. Um, but thanks very much for having me on. I really enjoyed telling you a little bit about the, the conference and what we do at Alt. And hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll see you in September in Liverpool. And Marin, if anyone wants to follow up with you on Twitter, what's your handle there? Oh, yeah. The best way to get in touch with me is just to tweet me at Marin Deepwell. It's all one word. Wonderful. OK, have a good one. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening, everyone. A big thanks also to EdTech podcast interns Marina and Lucy, who finished this week, and also to our amazing supporters on Patreon. If you've enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a short rate and review. Go on. See you next week for our first ASU GSV Summit live recorded episode on games-based learning and neuroscience with Pearson, Pymetrics, Minecraft and Wonder Workshop. Bye-bye.